series I'm going to share with you about, but uh, glad that you're here. If you would, we're all about helping people take next steps closer to, to God and to each other here at the chapel. And your next step, if you're a guest, could just simply be let me know that you're here with us today. And so uh, you've got a program on the way in. If you don't mind jotting down your name, letting me know that you're with us, stop at the Welcome Center, even tell them you're a guest. I would love to say hi and connect with you today and just maybe answer any questions you might have about the chapel as well. So thank you for doing that if you're a guest. You know, there's lots of things that are coming up here at the chapel. A couple I want to make sure that you're aware of this morning. The first one is is a pretty serious topic, but throughout our community, there has been a, a rise in suicides. And not just suicides, but families and friends and and neighbors who've been affected by this as well. And so we're having what is called a QPR training, question, um, uh, persuade, and refer is what that stands for. And it's a mental health uh, seminar, but it's, it's really dealing with Uh, the suicides in our community and how families and friends can have some tools and resources to come alongside some of these people struggling with this and just encourage and support them. And so whether you're one that has been kind of been affected by that or you just want to know some more about this, please check this out. All of this is in your welcome program too, so you don't have to remember it. But this is a big thing I want to make sure you're aware of. Another thing is this. Next weekend is our baptism service. It's one of our favorite services of the year. Lots of guests come. Lots of people taking next steps. It's always fun to be a part of. If you weren't here last week... And so you miss the class, the baptism class, or you miss the opportunity. Um, you're thinking, man, I still want to get baptized. Well, make sure that let's connect today. Either on a connect card, give me your name and let me know you're interested in baptism, or text in the word baptism to this number, or, or just stop and say hi to me after the service. If that's you, you still are interested in being baptized next week, but you missed last week. No problem. I would love to chat with you about how we can get you connected and and get you plugged in to be able to do this. The last thing I want to make sure you're aware of is next Sunday afternoon, we have our chapel membership class. I know some of you weren't even, not even sure what that means because we don't talk about this a lot, but, uh, but membership is an important thing here. I want to share with you during this class why we do it, what it is, what it means, how you do it. If so if you are interested in either being a member or even just wanting some information about what that is and why we do it, come to this class next Sunday. We do ask that you register just so I know you're coming. Um, but this is next Sunday afternoon. And in fact, I'm going to put some names on the screen. These are the people over these past months that have gone through the membership class and who have said, yes, we want to be a member here at the chapel. And I want to share some of these things with you that are are really cool. Um, We asked all these people, why do you want to be a member at the chapel? What does that mean to you? And this this is some of the responses that I wanted to share with you today. Some Some of them said this. Um, This person is so sweet. She said, I am old, 82, and when I die, I don't want my obituary to say I attended a church. This is my last chance to tell others that I belong to a church. How sweet. Or this one, my wife and I attended services on Easter. My stepdaughter invited us, and I was moved and have been attending every week since. I've learned more about God in just a few weeks than my entire life. It's so cool. Um, 
uh, this person said, why do you want to be a member of the chapel? They said, since moving to Huron, I've had so much joy getting involved at the chapel, and I want to make it my church home. This person, my husband and I have been attending and serving at the chapel for close to four years, and I'm ready to take that next step. So cool. And then, or, or this one, the chapel feels like home for our family. We came back to the chapel in 2016, and we watched our family grow in faith and love with like-minded families and friends, and we are called here. Oh, so many sweet stories. This, this person, um, if you remember about a year ago, we did something called Churches Left the Building, where we closed um, the church on a Sunday, and we encouraged everyone to go out in the community and serve someone, serve different people. And so we called it Churches Left the Building. The doors were locked, the lights were off, the church was out in the community serving. And this person said why they wanted to be involved at the chapel, said this, the chapel feels like home for our family. Oh, excuse me. I read an article in the newspaper about the churches left the building, and I thought, if a church cared that much for its community, I want to be a part of it. So that's cool. You just never know, right, what, what's going what's gonna to touch someone. Um, uh, since becoming sober, I feel like it is what I need to do. The Word of God is taught here. The people are authentic, and they don't pretend to be perfect. And joining is one way I can participate in this community. There's so many good stories. I wish I could share all of them with you. This is obviously just a handful. But um, if you, again, you want to know more about what that looks like, what that means, I encourage you next Sunday, um, plan to come to that, that short class. And um, I'd love to share more with you about that. Now today... We're continuing in our message series on the wisdom literature found in Scripture. And over these, over these weeks, we've been looking at what, what is referred to as the seven deadly sins. This is the seventh week of that. So we're on the seventh deadly sin. And it's not that these sins are any more deadly than the rest. As we've said, it's just these seven seem to be especially dishonoring to God. They seem to be especially harmful to us and harmful to other people around us. And that statement couldn't be truer with today's deadly sin, and that is the sin of lust. And so I just want to be honest with you and give you a little disclaimer before we start this message today. The disclaimer is this. I want to be very truthful and honest with you about some stuff this morning. I, and some of these things, quite honestly, are hard to share, and some of them are hard to hear. And so with that in mind, this message, I would say, is a PG, PG-13. I'm going to obviously keep things clean, and I'm not going to be graphic or anything like that. But if you are a parent in the room and you have a young one, I just want to be sensitive to that. It's up to you to decide if this is, this is a topic you want your, your child to, to learn about. I promise to be safe and not inappropriate, but it is a challenging topic. And so that is up to you to, to make that decision. Here's the second disclaimer. My second disclaimer is that I know some of you have been affected by this topic, probably negatively. That because of this topic, there's been some maybe trauma in your life, or there's some, been some, some challenges in your life, and you've been hurt. And I want you to know that we care, and we're here for you, 
And I'm sorry that happened. And so if, if, if during this message, if something gets too challenging and something's starting to hurt, we have prayer team members and we have people in this building that would love to pray for you. So just keep that in mind. There are people that want to pray for you and recognize this is challenging. The last part of this disclaimer is this, and then I'll jump in. That, that during this topic of lust, we're looking at what Solomon has to say in Proverbs in regard to sex in marriage. And I know that when I talk about marriage, that can be hard for some too, because there are perhaps people here today that wish they were married, and for whatever reason, God hasn't made that part of your path yet. And so there's some hurt there. Or perhaps you have been married and, and it has not gone well. And you've, you've had struggles through that, perhaps a broken marriage. And so all these things can cause you pro, uh, trouble in your heart. And again, we care for you. We love you. We're here for you. Then I want to encourage you today to just take whatever, consider whatever truths that I share with this in whatever context you might find yourself. Maybe it could relate to where you are. So with these things in mind, I would love to just start with prayer, if not for my own heart, but for yours too. So could we just pray? Lord, this is a difficult topic you've given us, but it's in your word, and you're passionate about these things, God. So thank you for the truth that you give us in your scripture. Lord, even when those truths can be hard, Lord, I thank you for them because I trust you that you are good and you love us. Lord, for those in this place that will hear these things and it will convict them. I thank you for that conviction. Would you, Lord, come beside them now and give them your strength, give them your care. For those who, uh, Lord, just need an extra little bit of love this morning, would, would you, Lord, remind them that you're with them and that you care? Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you that we can discuss these things together. Lord, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your grace. We love you. In your name I pray, amen. So there's many things in life, many inventions throughout our life that have been created with good intentions. Right? I mean, a lot of things, a lot of inventions are made with a purpose and for a purpose and with the idea that this would be good for us. And, 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 and a lot of those things, we know that as people, we can take things that are good and intended for good, and we can turn them into things that are harmful and negative. I can just give you some quick examples here. I mean, I have my cell phone, right? Phone's great invention. Love it. I love that we can communicate with ease. I love that we can connect with people we couldn't ever connect with before. I love the fact that my daughter away at college, I can reach at any given notice and talk to her. I love that my wife and my younger daughter have phones when they drive so that if there's a problem, I can get to them as quickly as possible. I love that. But you know, as well as I do, that what was intended for good sometimes has negative consequences, negative things, harmful things. For instance, these can become addictive, can't they? Not only addictive, but what was meant to bring people together and cause connections and communication can actually lead to loneliness and isolation and sometimes insecurity. The thing that gives me peace as my daughter drives also brings me great fear. So it was good, but it can be twisted. 
And then I think of things like, 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 like these, right? Prescription medications. They're good. They're good. Doctors, scientists, they, they made these things to help with sickness, to help with disease, to help cure pains, to help, help us get through things. These are, these are good things. But as you all know, right, we can take good things and we can make them bad real quick. They can become addictive. Not only addictive, but some of the things that, that we take these for can cause health problems beyond what they were intended to fix. What was good can become not good real fast. Or how about this example? We have um, our credit cards, right? Intended for good, intended to help you to make purchases that you could pay off every month, intended for emergency situations, intended for good things. But as you know, we take this thing that is intended for good and we start racking up things that we can't pay for. We start using it to purchase stuff we don't need that's piling on debt, causes fear, causes anger, causes shame, causes relational strife because of this. We know this happens. What was intended for good has gotten twisted and can be harmful. And I would say the same principle applies when we talk about sex. God created this thing for good. He said this is good. And, and, and it was meant to be special. It was meant to be a gift. But now it seems that special gift is just an ordinary commodity between people. Right? What was once created to, to drive us to worship the Creator has now led us to worshiping the created. And that's dangerous. It's deadly. And so I thought, well, what causes this to happen? Not only what causes this to happen, but then I thought, well, if lust truly is so deadly, then what's the big deal? Why is this a problem? And then if it is a problem, if it truly is deadly, then what can we do? Is there any freedom found from this? Those are what I want to answer today. And I want to answer those things with three specific words. The outline is very simple for today. Three words. The first word is love, second, lust, and the third is liberation. And I want to start with the word love this morning. With love. Because like any good father, Solomon here in Proverbs, he's writing this to his son. And Solomon's gone through some life stuff and not necessarily made all the good decisions. And now he's learned a thing or two. And so as a father who's gone through some experiences and learned a thing or two, now he has something to share with his son. And so he writes this passage for his son. And this is what he says about marriage and sex to his son. Pay attention to this, dads. He says, drink water from your own well. Share your love with only your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, he says. So this is, this is what he says to his son. I love that Solomon uses um, his son's wife. He refers to her as a blessing. He calls her a, a blessing. In fact, he calls her that she should be a fountain of blessing, which means this. Most translations of that word blessing, including the translation in this verse 18, the word blessing means to be God-given. So what Solomon is saying to his son is, look, son, your wife is a gift. 
She is a gift from God. She is a treasure to you from God himself. She is a blessing, and that is why God created sex within a marriage in the first place. And if we go back to the beginning of Scripture, all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve, we see and we read what takes place in the very first ever marriage that happened. And we see this in Genesis chapter 2. It says this, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. What's happening here is God institutes marriage between a man and a woman, and he brings these two individual lives together to, to form one singular bond. And he does this, this, this union is, is to unite their souls in the most intimate ways possible. That means relationally, emotionally, physically, sexually, intimately They are bonded together in a union that is so tight, nothing should be able to break him. And this is a blessing from God. This is a gift from God. But it's no accident. Right after that, he follows it up with this in verse 25. He says, Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Adam and Eve were free. They were free. No shame, no guilt completely free, both as individuals and as a married couple. They felt no shame. And so as a result of this, they could love one another. They could love one another selflessly. They could love one another, including sexually, without shame, without guilt, without fear, without judgment. It was a gift. It was a blessing that God gave to each of them. And so why is Solomon talking to his son about this? He says his wife is a blessing. And what he's saying is in order to honor God with this gift that he's given, in order to honor God with this blessing, in order to live this way without shame, without guilt, and without fear, then sex needs to stay within the confines of a marriage. And so to illustrate this, Solomon uses these metaphors. He goes on and he says, what, drink water from your own well. He says, why spill the water of the springs in your streets? It's a fountain of blessing. He uses this illustration, this metaphor of water, how it quenches your thirst, your physical thirst. And he's using this to say, look, sex within a marital relationship should, should quench your sexual thirst as well. Here's the... Here's the point of all this. I realize that this is like super glossing over a big, huge topic we could spend weeks and weeks on. I know that I'm, I'm buzzing through a lot of information really fast, but here's the takeaway. The takeaway is that God's original plan was good. It was good. It was meant for good. And it is good. Man, something happened. Something happened that that disrupted that, and it never seems to take too long for people, whatever it is, to take what was good and kind of start, start messing around with it. And then it becomes not so good. The boundaries are pushed beyond what they should be pushed for. And that brings me to the second word in our outline, and that is just the word lust. And this is where it gets a little challenging because Solomon shares this warning with us about lust. He shares this warning in Proverbs 
In chapter 6, he says, don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coy glances seduce you. And I thought, what is he talking about here? I wish I had some words to wrap around what Solomon was saying here. And so um, I, I love that there's a pastor like um, Pastor Tim Keller who, who kind of put some words to this. And he said this, it's one thing to recognize and appreciate someone's physical attractiveness. It's another thing to be intensely driven to possess someone's beautiful body for your own. Which I thought, okay, that sounds harsh. Until I read what C.S. Lewis had to say, and he took it a step further. He said this, Strictly speaking, a woman is just what he does not want. He wants pleasure for which a beautiful woman is a necessary piece of apparatus. And I thought, man, that sounds even more harsh. Until then, I looked at what Jesus had to say about this topic. And he says in Matthew 5, 28, I say anyone who looks at a woman with lust has committed adultery with her in his heart. And I think this is extreme. Isn't, I mean, that sounds over the top, but yet it isn't because Jesus knows exactly what is going on in our hearts and he knows that our lingering glances and our looks are a slippery slope that lead us toward a path of consequences and destruction. It can lead us to regret. And this is deadly. In fact, we don't have a bottom line for today, but if we did, this would be it. It is simply that if love is about giving to others, lust is about getting from others others. Love is all about giving to others. Lust is about what can you all give to me? That's what I want. Love is about selfish, selflessly giving ourselves to the betterment of other people. It's for them with their good in mind. Lust twists it because it means that we are selfishly trying to satisfy our own needs and our own desires no matter what it costs you, no matter if it hurts me or if it hurts whoever it is that I'm getting it from. That's the danger of lust. And Solomon, he goes on to illustrate it this way. I found this interesting in Proverbs 5. He says this, For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey. Her mouth is smoother than oil. What he's saying here is this word honey is a metaphor. It's a metaphor for the word lust. He's saying honey is extremely delicious. It tastes good. We want it. We want more of it. But if you only eat honey, it's never going to satisfy you completely. It won't give you what you need. In fact, if you eat too much of it, and if that's all you eat, it can make you sick. And he goes on in verse 4 to say, but the end, she is bitter as poison, as dangerous as a double-edged sword. He says her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. He is taking this seriously when he says, look, honey is sweet. It is delicious. You want more and more of it until it has adverse effects on you. And that adverse effects lead to consequences. It strangles our souls. It leads to the death of our relationships. It leads to the death and the hurt of the people that we love the most. And there's a lot of things that can take us down this path. We know this. In our culture today, there's so many things that can lead us astray. And some of those are tricky little things, sneaky little things that we don't even know are there. Some of them, however, are very blatant. And one of the things that I see in our culture that takes us down this path the most is, is pornography. If we're not, in fact, I, I wanted to tell you some stats, and I promise you, when I did this research, I wish I wouldn't have because it messed with my head. 
And so if you sit there and you can read these and it doesn't mess with you a little bit, something's wrong, it might cause you to squirm. I mean, listen to this. Did you know over $3,000 is spent on porn every second? Every second. Don't even do the math. You don't want to do the math. It's bad. Every second on the internet. Or how about this? One in five mobile searches. That means one in five searches on your smartphone or your tablet leads to pornography. Someone's searching for it. One in five. This is scary. It's dangerous. It's deadly. Or how about this? It gets worse. 51% of male students and 32% of female students viewed porn before they were teenagers. Before they were teenagers. Which took me to this one. On average, the first exposure to porn in men was 12. 12. So if you're a parent here, or a grandparent here, and you're wondering, is it too early to start talking to my kids about this? No. It's not, because they're already into it. 12. This, this scares me. It's dangerous. And not only that, but when we go down this road, what happens through our teenage years and into young adults and we're finding relationships and we're going down the road of getting married and all these things if this isn't addressed look at what happens the pornography use increases marital infidelity rate by more than 300 percent that just makes me squirm to read these things and, and, and this isn't only a male-only struggle. I know sometimes when we talk about lust, most of us think, well, men deal with lust. And yes, it is true. This is a male-heavy topic, meaning I bet it would be a safe bet to say every man in this room, to some degree, at some point in time, at some level, has wrestled with dealing with these temptations that lead us to lust. That is hands down true. But it is not only our men, it is our young men who are at a greater risk because of the ease of technology and the internet they have at their fingertips. But it's not only our men and our young men, but it's our women too. This is a topic for women. In fact, as I was reading this author, Kelly Needham, she said this about women when it comes to lust. She said, most women, the lust battle is birthed in emotions. The idea of emotional intimacy and sensuality can be a lot more tempting than a naked body. So, he, so here's the deal. No matter if you're a man who's undressing a woman who's not his wife with his eyes, or you're a woman who is desiring intimacy emotionally with a man who isn't your husband, it, it all takes you to the same place. Desiring something you can't have, but you take it anyways. Because lust is all about getting for yourself. Where love is about giving to others. I know there's so much more we could talk about this forever, and quite honestly, I don't want to because it's too difficult. We could, we could look at how the chemicals rewire our brains. We could, look at, we could look at how our emotional wiring in our brains, it, it, it makes connections easier, meaning those of you who've ever wanted to um, strike up a friendship with a past ex-boyfriend or girlfriend on Facebook and you're married now, don't do it. Because those wires get connected and established way easier once that emotional connection has been there. It's dangerous. Be careful. 
doing that. Solomon says honey is sweet and delicious and we want more of it. And if that's true, then I go, why is lust so deadly? What's the big deal? I'll sum it up like this. Lust is deadly because it's always rooted in selfishness. Love is rooted in selflessness. Lust is deadly because it rewires your thoughts, it rewires your emotions, leading to physiological and psychological issues in children and in adults. It is deadly because it ruins relationships, it ruins marriages, it ruins families. It's deadly because it's highly, highly addictive. It's, it's deadly because although I can't remember to take out the trash on Wednesday nights that happens every week, I can remember the pictures I saw in my friend's bedroom magazine under his bed when I was 12 years old like it was clear as day. They're there. It has lasting consequences. It's deadly. It's dangerous. We have to be ready. So if love is about giving, lust is about getting, then I think, well, where are we supposed to go? What do we do from here? And that brings me to the third word, liberation. Simply liberation. One day, Jesus, he was speaking to to others about what it looked like to embrace heaven on earth. And he was giving this really a life-altering sermon at the time called the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, he said this to the people, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. This, this was a huge message. And one way we can translate this word blesses is the word happy. And this isn't a feelings-based happiness. Rather, it's a happiness that comes when we approach life God's way. He's saying to have a pure heart means that we have a life and we're living a life that doesn't have corruption. We're living a life that we don't have to constantly justify our behaviors. We're living a life that isn't deceitful. It means we're living with a pure and blameless heart. And Jesus said, when we do this, when we live life this way, it results in something amazing. It results in us being able to honor God, and it results in us being able to see God. We can see him clearly when we live this way. And I know this is easier said than done. I mean, I'm thinking, I'm thinking how in the world is this kind of life even possible in our culture today and then where we're at? How is it even possible especially when there's already damage done in my heart. How is this possible? Well, when it comes to purity of heart, I lean into what Diedrich Bonhoeffer says, and he said, purity of heart is to will one thing. One thing, in other words, he says, if you want to be happy, if you want to live a good life, if you want to be liberated from lust, then that means you have to make purity of heart your one thing. That means you fight for purity of heart like your freedom depends on it. It's that big of a deal. And so I want to I wrap up and I want to give you three ways to fight today. Three quick ways you can begin your fight with this right now. So uh, the first one is this. As I look at Job, Job is part of our wisdom literature. We're going to actually dig into him in a couple of weeks. But in Job 31, he writes this. He said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at lust, with lust at a young woman. Job made a covenant with his eyes and with God. A covenant. Did Job struggle with 
lust, I don't probably. Why else would he have included this covenant that he made? He's just like you and I. He struggled. He was a person. So, so maybe he had this problem and he made a covenant with God, a vow with God that he would live a life of purity, not a life of lust. And here's the big difference. So when I ask you this question, what would it look like for you to take this issue so seriously that you would make a promise, a covenant, a vow before God himself that you wouldn't live this way? I'm not asking you to do that this second. I'm asking you this week, would you consider praying about that? Thinking about that? Is that something you would be willing to do? And does that mean that you're going to be perfect? No. You're going to mess up? Sure you are. We're all going to mess up. That's not the point. The point is, is that you can want this kind of life or you can want this kind of life. And making a covenant before God just is an example that you want this. That you want this. And so that's the first thing I ask you. Consider a covenant with God. The second thing I want to encourage you with this is this, and it comes with accountability. It counts with someone else being a part of your life. In fact, James, Jesus' brother, he wrote this. He said, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This accountability person, it has to be a person who is trusted, a person that is, 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 is growing in Jesus Christ, it's a person that you can be completely transparent with. It's a person that is going to encourage you, pray for you, show grace to you, but also be willing to challenge you to live with a pure heart when the time comes. And so the question is, who's that person in your life that you can ask to be an accountability partner? Again, I'm not asking you to ask them today. I'm thinking this week, would you think about that and pray about that and see who in your life may be that person to come alongside you? They should be trusted. They should be following Jesus. They should be willing to speak the truth, but show grace and forgiveness all at the same time. This is a special person. So would you consider who that might be in your life? So one, make a commitment. Two, is there someone that you can have some accountability with? Then three, this is the last way I'll give you. We know here... At the chapel, this is tough, and so we want to help. And so we have a couple of groups and a couple of classes that I want to make sure you're aware of that I hope will help you as you are journeying forward with this. The first one is our Celebrate Recovery group. It meets every week at our Sandusky campus. It's a group that sits down together, encourages one another, loves one another, prays for each other as they're walking through their hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We all got those. So maybe that is a group you would be willing to consider attending. Or perhaps this, we're, we're, we want to start a class in, in, in this for this that's called Sexual Integrity 101. And actually we asked our middle school lead at the, ch at the chapel, Ken Rawson, to teach this class. What a perfect person to teach a class on sexual integrity. And, and, and I want to share a little bit with you what that class is and what to expect in a moment. But before I do, can I just encourage you with this? God created this thing. And he said it's good. It's meant for good. It was good. It's a gift. It is a blessing for us. It's a treasure. Like most people... We have the ability to twist those things. And we have the ability to twist them, and, and lust does that. It starts making it about us and what we can get. But we don't have to live that way. We, 
there's freedom from this. There's liberation from this. So we got to fight for it together. And we're in this together. And so Pastor Joe's going to come and he's going to lead us in communion. He's going to pray. But before we do, let me just give you a taste of what this class is going to look like. Maybe you would consider joining it. Here it is. True healing and freedom from the effects of unwanted sexual behavior is possible. But for so many, the path has been littered with failed attempts. Short-term 